Hi, I'm Rebecca Pete, And I'm Rebecca Cochran. And, and welcome, welcome to Woven, where we strive to be Christians living in the world with intention. And our prayer is that, to paraphrase Mary Zimmer, the Christ who knew Mary and Martha would show us the way of balance. Thanks, Thanks for listening. Okay, welcome back to Woven. We're in the middle of our series on um, just keep on keeping on or keep swimming or whatever you want to call it, <laughs> um, as we're all kind of in the messy middle of this pandemic and what it's like um, to just continue um, and to keep on um, when we don't know what's at the end of the tunnel. And so that's why we have this series. And today we have Glenna Marshall back on our podcast. She was here back in episode 76. If you're a new listener, she was here during our Faith and Doubt series um, talking about her first book, um, The Promise is His Presence. And talking about um, experiencing God's presence through um, the hard times and um, what that looks like. And um, even when we're experiencing doubt. And that's why it was part of our Faith and Doubt series. But Which today is such a good interview. And if you haven't listened to it, it was yeah. really good. You need to go back and look. Glenda, did you ever listen to it? I think I did at the it time. It was so good. It did I loved work. our conversation. I had a great time. It was <laughs> Just really good. It was really good. So go back and listen to that one. And yes. then she um, is one of those crazy writers who re- <laughs> released two books in one year. <laughs> that is it, crazy. Was it, was it a calendar year or was no, it? No, it was 10 months. Yeah. Yeah. So. 10 Dang. months. I yeah. don't think I can ever do that again. It was, there, there was a time where I was working on both manuscripts at the same time. And it just, I mean, my brain melted a little bit. And I struggled. Had, like, Irish yeah, twins. I mean, really, they were so close yeah. together. And I, I mean, there are people who do that regularly. I, I, I don't know how they sleep at night, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> <laughs> so Glenna's new book is called Everyday Faithfulness, The Beauty of Ordinary Perseverance in a Demanding World. So I can't think of a more... Um, apt topic for right now. Yes. <laughs> so, but before we dig into um, everyday faithfulness and into perseverance, um, can you just reintroduce yourself um, a little bit, Glenna, to our listeners? Yeah. Well, I am a pastor's wife and my husband, William, and I have been serving in rural Missouri for 15 years, actually, just now 15 years. We've been married 17 years and have been in church ministry the whole time, but he has been lead pastor at our church Um this one same church that we've been serving in. And actually our church went through a major change last year when we merged with another local church. So we had a really unique situation that I believe the Lord ordained for such a time as this that we're living in because we, um, my church is predominantly white and the other church was predominantly black. And now we are a merged racially diverse gospel centered church in a town that is quite segregated. And um, so there are two pastors, my husband who is white, and then the other pastor who is black. They are like brothers with a different mother. I do not know. They are like the same person. It's really weird. (laughs) So um, it has been such a joy. This last, we merged last September and launched as a new church in December. And I felt like we were just getting momentum going before the pandemic hit. And so it's been challenging to sort of keep the momentum going and keep connected. You know, we were still wearing name tags and things when we had to cancel church. Um, but we're, we've started meeting back together some. And we actually joined just this week to have a uh, an evening of lament in our city for the racial injustice. Mm-hmm. Um, our city has a really ugly, ugly history. Uh, the last... Mm-hmm 
public lynching in the state of Missouri happened in our town in 1942. And it was just a grave injustice that the church did not speak out against. And so we are just, you know, in this position of getting to serve and really portray the gospel of Jesus and how it unites us um, to our city. And we're so thankful to be a part of it. And personally speaking, I probably mentioned this last time we were talking, but I have two kids, both are adopted and both are kids of color. And so I have a very vested interest in what the Lord is doing in our church. So good for our family. So good for my boys. And so, um, yeah, so we're just here busy with church stuff. Well, busy is kind of a relative term, busy in pandemic terms, (laughs) which is to say we're doing some things, but not a lot. Um, Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. Otherwise I'm just, um, just released this second book and a lot of my time has been filled with writing and doing some online speaking. I usually travel and speak, but you know, had to cancel a bunch of flights this year like everybody else. So, um, yeah, so that's quick recap of how our life has been since last we spoke. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, as a side note, I weren't planning on talking about this, but as a side note, I following what your church has done in um, rural Missouri has been, um, very, um, I don't know what the word is, encouraging, invigorating or whatever to see um, your two churches come together the way they have. I, I feel like a lot of, not a lot, but there have been churches that have tried that and it's not mm-hmm. easy. I, we're not, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think you would say that it's an yeah. easy um, transition, but I think it's a beautiful model. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have been encouraged to watch um, what your church has done. We, you know, we live in Atlanta, which is yeah. uh, highly desegregated. We are very um, desegregated, but it's, still tension filled and um well our churches are still segregated i would our say. churches yes. so our city yeah, is segregated and our neighborhoods <laughs> i mean desegregated our neighborhoods are desegregated our schools are desegregated but our churches are not so yeah. we are definitely our churches um trying to figure out what that looks like and i think you know a lot of churches in our city are yeah. are there and so um it has been encouraging to watch your church and what um William and what's the his co-pastor's name? Yeah, his name's Kenny, and Kenny, um, yeah. yeah, just the way that the Lord brought them together in friendship several years ago, yeah. and then just kind of knitted their hearts together to reach mm-hmm. our community with the gospel and what it would say if we came together and worshipped. Because as you said, I mean, Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week, yeah. and it should mm-hmm. not be so. If anyone is going to be is is going to show what unity looks like, it should be Christians. First yeah. and foremost, we should be the first ones out of the gate, you know? And yeah. so um, I'm really excited and so thankful that the Lord persevered us here because we tried, you know, to get out of ministry here many times. We had a rough go of it, mm-hmm. our years mm-hmm. serving in our church. And now I look at how the Lord kept us here and then kept our church members here to mm-hmm. where they were ready to jump right in mm-hmm. and follow in with this, which is huge to me, huge to me. I'm, I'm so thankful. It's such a, a, you know, a testament to, um, to William and to Kenny um, and obvi- their obvious church. Um, they're the leadership that they have given to the church in a way that the, those, both of your churches trust their leadership enough mm. yeah. to, um, to follow in this process because there are a lot of churches that might not follow their leaders into, you know, a, a merge like this. And so yeah. the fact yeah. that, both churches that that's a testament to William and Kenny um, and their yeah. leadership for sure. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah. And yeah, talk about good. perseverance. Oh man. <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is, um, there's so many, you know, between the pandemic and, and the work that churches need to do on that front and just like everyday life period anyways. So let's dig into that a little yeah. bit. So 
can you give the kind of the story behind why you wrote the book and kind of what, like, what was the impetus for, what was this born out of um, yeah. this message? Well, it's funny talking about perseverance in the church because the seed for this book was born out of the death of one of our church members. Um, I tell a story in the last chapter of Everyday Faithfulness about a woman in our church named Leota, and I actually dedicated the book to her. When my husband and I moved to our church, she was 86 years old, I believe. Um, is that right? Gosh, I was, I know there was like a 50 or 60 year gap between us. Maybe she was 84. I was 24. Yeah. And, um, she was a widow and she'd been widowed for decades. She lived alone. She had outlived most of her relatives and she, you know, she had one daughter who lived elsewhere in another state. And so Leota just, she lived a small life. She had a little garden in her backyard. She liked to work with her plants she was the most faithful church member that we have ever had, mm-hmm. I believe. She had tremendous hearing problems and arthritis. She had every reason to skip church, and she never did. Um, once she hit her 90s, she began opening her home to weekly small groups, which I love because that was new for her, and she loved it. And she just, you know, she'd come through. We were in a, you know, a little Baptist church at the time, and so after the service, my husband and I would stand at the door and, like, greet people on their way out, very, you yes. know, traditional Baptist thing to do, but um, (laughs) she would always come through, you know, this lady who's walked with Jesus decades longer than I've been alive. And she would say, I just have so much to learn. Oh, I just love the Lord so Mm -hmm. much. I have so much to learn. And she would tell me that she'd been up till midnight the night before reading her Bible. She just could never get enough. And um, she, she had a stroke when she was 95 and she ended up in a nursing home and she passed away at 96 and her daughter had her, um, interred at a grave at a cemetery in another state and there was winter weather. And so my husband traveled and a couple of other people who were close to her. I had young kids who were actually sick and I couldn't make the trip. And they, I think there were seven people at her service. And I remember thinking, I cannot think of a person who has modeled ordinary faithfulness to Jesus more than Leota there are seven people at her funeral. I mean, talk about plodding on in faithfulness mm. to Christ for decades with no accolades, you know, no fame, no notoriety, just ordinary. I'm going to get up today. I'm going to be faithful with my hands. I'm going to be faithful with my mind. I'm going to love Jesus more today than I did yesterday. And I just know that when she opened her eyes to see him, you know, that she heard, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I just, it, it impacted me so deeply because I'd watched her for 12 years of, you know, church ministry, watched her, someone who was already mature in the faith, who I admired, still growing mm-hmm. and still learning and still loving Jesus and still putting one foot in front of the other. And just the simple things like reading her Bible, you'd think you'd know everything you need to know at 85, <laughs> you know, but she's still reading her Bible until she died at 96 and, you know, pr- being committed to prayer and being so committed to the body of Christ. And I, I thought that's what the church needs is more of that. You know, we see a lot of what we see are famous people and their mm-hmm. famous books and their famous, you know, things that they do that everybody can see. But the church is largely made up of ordinary people who are just plodding along and persevering. Yep. So I thought I want to write a book that just speaks to what ordinary daily 
following Jesus looks like in the life of an average Christian who's not famous and not well-known and not doing anything for accolades. Um, because that's mostly who most of us are. Like we're just ordinary yeah. Christians, you know? And so I thought, what are the obstacles to this long-term faithfulness? Well, it's seasons of life, you know, that Leota would have lived with waiting and spiritual dryness and busy years, you know, when you're working or having kids or caretaking for someone else or um, suffering, you know, all these different seasons that we go through, those are the seasons that someone like Leota would just keep pressing forward in faithfulness. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to kind of uncover how do Christians do that? What is like the secret to that kind of faithfulness? And it's not a secret. This, I mean, <laughs> it's simple, it's ordinary, it's not complicated, yeah. but it's not always easy. God has given us everything we need to be faithful to Jesus. And a lot of our response just must be obedience, which is not necessarily the most popular thing in the world to talk about these days. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I watched Leota live this life and I thought, I just, that I think that is the gift of the church is watching ordinary people love Jesus. And yes. that encourages me so much. I want to give that gift to other people. So really that is a long explanation, but no, she good. is one of the main reasons I wrote this book. Yeah, that's Love awesome. it. I'm, I, I think, you know, one, and this is something I'm continuously every day learning, um, but have learned a lot over the past. Uh, I became a Christian when I was 18 and I'm 40. And so uh, <laughs> over the last 22 years of being a Christian um, is, you know, I think I thought for a long time, and this is just part of my personality, that if I, you know, persevered, and um, had faith and just kept obeying, then I would get to like some kind of pinnacle mm. instead of, and so that, that, that's the reward mm. of everyday faithfulness mm-hmm. is that I will get to this like higher point. And some people do, some people have big platforms because right. God put them there to have big platforms. And right. sometimes, you know, they do have success stories or whatever, but like you said, like a majority of people, um, you know, that, that have everyday faithfulness that just persevere through their life and their Christian faith, um, still continue to live ordinary lives. And that is still rewarded by God. God still yeah. looks down on that and he is pleased by that. And, yes. um, that is a hard lesson for me to learn, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, and, um, I think it, that's a, a really good word and it's a very, um, timely one. Um, Glenna. so what it, so if, if faithfulness is like, a word that I think we probably think we all know what it means, mm-hmm. but it's also kind of like a Christianese term too. Yeah. And so what do you mean when you say everyday faithfulness? Right. So I think a lot of times we think of faithfulness in the terms of like, uh, this is what well, you think of the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, yeah. peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So we think of these things like, Lord, give me patience or Lord, give me faithfulness. Mm-hmm. And the Lord grows those things in our lives. But I also think they are uh, those fruit of the spirit or things that he develops in our life through obedience to his word. The more that we are saturated in the word, the more that we are listening to his voice through scripture, the more we are uh, just filling our life with truth. Those things are pleased to grow because we're becoming like Jesus. And Jesus is all of those things, defines all of those things. And so as we become like Jesus, those fruit, those fruits grow in our life. Um, I think obedience is key here. I think that Well, in the book, I use faithfulness, the term kind of interchangeably with steadfastness or perseverance. So really what I mean is holding fast to Christ in every season of life, just to simply put it, holding fast to Christ in every season of life. And it's one of those things that it's hard to measure. You can't uh, chart steadfastness or spiritual growth, if you will, like you can 
weight loss or calorie intake or the steps that you walk every day or the number of pages in a book you read. You can't really chart growth that way because it's not always like completely linear. Um, Sometimes it feels like you're growing and then you're taking a couple steps back and then you take a, you know, big leap forward and then you take a big, you know, and I don't know that any of that is a really correct way to measure spiritual growth. But um, I think that because every Christian is called to spiritual growth and every Christian is equipped to spiritual growth, because God has given us everything we need for life and godliness, um, then the expectation is that if we are really in Christ, if we have really tasted that the Lord is good, we will grow. We will be faithful because God is invested in our faithfulness. Now, he could have just said, here, I'm going to pour out a bunch of faithfulness on you and you're going to be faithful. But that's never really the way God works. He always involves us in the process. Um, We have to lean on him for our obedience. We cannot obey from our own strength. Any obedience in our life is fruit that he is growing and is pleased to grow. But um, the... I think that growing in faithfulness and growing in godliness, becoming more like Jesus, holding fast to Jesus today, holding fast to him tomorrow, holding fast to him the next day comes from daily obedience to the things that God has given us to hold fast to him. So if he has given us what we call habits of grace or means of grace or spiritual disciplines, whatever you want to call those, um, those are the things he has given us to hold fast to him, then we must be obedient and abide by those means of grace to hold fast to him. I like to go back to, I think, John 14 and 15, where Jesus is talking about, you know, he is divine. We are the branches. If we're going to abide in him, we have to stay attached to him. And then he says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And he links love and obedience, not like what he's not saying is I'll love you if you obey me. Mm -hmm. He's not saying that because if you are in Christ, you have all of the love of God and nothing can separate you from it. No terrible season that you're going through, no apathy, no dry spell cannot separate you from his love. But what he is saying is out of your love for me will come obedience. And through that, you will remain attached to me. Here's how you're going to remain attached to me. Obey my commandments. And there's a passage I talk through in the book, Hebrews 10 is one where I really like to kind of pull back what the author is saying. Um, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for our sins, reconciled us to God and gave us free access to God. Therefore, when you get to kind of the latter half of chapter 10, like verses 19 to 25, the author says, you know, let us draw near to God with a pure heart because we've been cleansed. Let us hold fast to our confession of faith and let us not neglect meeting together. Uh, with other believers. And so we have these three things. We have drawing near to God through prayer, holding fast to our confession of faith, which we, which is our scripture, our gospel. And then we have uh, involvement in the local church body to stir one another up to love and good deeds, to not neglect meeting together. And then he says, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So as you're continuing to walk with the Lord, you hold fast to these things because Jesus died to give you access to them. These are the ways that you are going to hold fast in your mm-hmm. faith. And so, I mean, and and that's not the only scripture that addresses those things. It's not the only, uh, second Peter one goes pretty in depth on what God has given us to maintain faithfulness. So for us living as 21st century Christians, I think it boils down to, do I want to grow in godliness? Then I need to submit myself to God's plan for that. And that's a hard thing to do sometimes. Yeah. Why do you think we resist that so much? 
Well, from, I can only speak for myself, but um, I would say laziness, 100%. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, you know, for years I avoided, and, and I was a pastor's wife at the time. So big confession here. I avoided scripture reading daily. I avoided prayer. Uh-huh. Um, I was busy. I didn't get anything from it. It was too hard. You know, I, you know what? all of those were excuses. I could always come up with a, you know, quote, reason. But really mm-hmm. it was just laziness. Like I just, I would rather watch TV. Just find me perfectly honest, you know? Um, yeah. And I was not prepared for what came later, which was a season of suffering. And I had no deep roots. And mm-hmm. thankfully, the Lord used suffering to like turn my face to Him and say, look, I am all you have. So <laughs> this is where you go. Um, and once I began to do that, you know, He got me with His word. It just he captured my heart, never let go. But if I had been more grounded in, you know, with roots that ran deep in the word, I would have been much better prepared to handle seasons of suffering and difficulty. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I think for me, I can only say my resistance is laziness. Um, I yeah. think. Some people have kind of that fear of failure. Like, I'm not going to do it right. I don't know where to start. I get overwhelmed. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, spiritual disciplines don't have to be complicated. They can be very simple. I think what matters more is consistency. Yeah. Yeah. I would say for me, um, laziness plays in there because, you know, it's just (laughs) easier to do other things. Yeah. Um, and I, this is speaking as someone who has a seminary degree and like, oh, yeah, uh, have taught and wrote Bible studies for a living. So, um, so, but I, but I, I think for me, a lot of my hesitation, this may speak to other people that this might be their um, hesitancy or their excuse, um, this fear of intimacy. And so there's this like fear of um, what it means if I build my relationship with God and what he's going to show me mm. and what I'm going to learn about myself and what I'm going to need to change about myself you know and so it, there's a resistance there and I don't even I don't even think that it's a conscious resistance it's a subconscious resistance but it's like there deep in my my spirit that if I do x y and z and I and I really do dig in and abide and and mm-hmm. do the uh, do the spiritual disciplines and obey and all of those things then then I'm going to not, not like what I see all the time or, oh. or the intimacy will cause a vulnerability that is, that is hard uh, for me. You know, yeah. it's so interesting that you say that I was sitting, I meet with a group of girls for Bible study every Tuesday. And one of the things that keeps coming up is that the more that we study the scripture, the more aware we are of our own sin. And it is so hard to just deal with your sin. Like you don't mm-hmm. like who you are, but over time you realize that, before you were just kind of ignoring your sin or totally oblivious to it. And that's not a good place to be in either. And so Mm -hmm. it is God's grace to you to open your eyes to what you don't want to deal with. And and through that, you you learn how much you need the Lord and that kind of neediness is so good, but it's hard to get there. It is, it's a lot and it is scary. Yeah. Yeah, it's scary to to realize your weaknesses. At least it is for me. Other people maybe it's not, but for me, it's, it's very scary to see the areas where I need work and the areas where I need him because I'm I'm independent. I can do everything myself, and so which is so <laughs> antithetical to the gospel. So like I, so I, 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 preach the, I, I preach I preach the gospel. I guess you need Jesus, but I don't need Jesus. Right, <laughs> yeah. You know, which is a problem. Um, so I, you talked about it a little bit when you were describing faithfulness, and I think this is a good spot to talk about this about God. God's sovereignty versus our perseverance. Cause I think, you know, like anything in Christianity, there's like polars and like we yes. struggle to balance those polars. Um, and you know, yes, God is sovereign, 
but yes, he calls us to persevere. So how do those things work together? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a theological question for, you know, we could talk about this for years and years to come. <laughs> um, but you know, if you go to Philippians two and I've actually got it, so I won't butcher it, but um, Paul's writing to the Philippian church and he says to them, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. So now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So there is the like charge to obedience to be invested in your sanctification here. And then he says, and he follows it up with, for it is God who works in you to both, uh, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So yes, you must obey. Your obedience comes from God's work in, working in you. How those yeah. things uh, happen at the same time. So if I think on it too hard, my brain starts to like get a little crazy, you know, yeah. but in, in, in God, those things are both true because he is sovereign, but he also calls us to obedience, but he also enables us to obey. <laughs> so, yeah. um, if, if we are working out our salvation and I think what he is meaning there is obeying the Lord, uh, investing in your sanctification, coming to the scripture, remembering the gospel, praying, and all of the things that we've talked about. Um, he's saying, do those things because you have been made new, because you can do those things because God is working in you. A person who's not a believer in Jesus is not going to work out their salvation because they don't have salvation and God is not at work in them yet. Lord willing, if they are coming to faith in Christ, then he will absolutely work in them and work out that perseverance in their life. I mean, if you go back to the first chapter of Philippians, I think it's verse six, uh, chapter one, verse six, um, you know, the whole, like he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He will finish the work that he has started in every believer. But just as he does in like evangelism, for example, like he didn't have to involve us, but he chose to. And so we speak the gospel, uh, not because God needs us to, but because he called us to. And yeah. I think the same thing is true. He could have worked out our, worked out our salvation by just, I don't know, magically imbuing saintliness. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he can do whatever he wants, but he chose yeah. for us to be involved and invested in our own sanctification. Not yeah. works-based, but working from the work that he has already done and is doing and will do for sure in our lives. Yeah. And that's a, a good word at the end there. Cause like, you know, those two polars, like if you get stuck on either one of those, which I've been in both of those camps and maybe still be in one of those camps, I don't know, <laughs> somewhere on the continuum. But, um, unfortunate that we're not like a video podcast. Oh, I know. Cause we're time. really using our hands. A lot of, I, I'm like, <laughs> it's got Italian in me. I can't stop talking. With um, and so, um, but you know, on one side, if you only are on the side of working out your salvation, then that's where the, you know, the workspace yeah. theology comes from, or the, I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. And if I just work hard enough, then I can be faithful. And then the other side of it, if you're just like, Oh, God's going to work it all out in me. That's where the, I think the laziness and the withdrawing mm-hmm. comes in and all of that kind of stuff. And so, so like trying to like, I mean, it's a constant battle, like a lot of things in Christianity um, and in our faith to like find that balance every yeah. day like it's an every day and that goes back to mm-hmm. everyday day every it's day not just faithfulness it's every day yeah. in, day in and day out so um okay 
how can we be faithful in that everyday faithfulness um, when we struggle to be disciplined? Like we yeah. talked about laziness and that kind of stuff. Like how do, so like what are some practical ways we can deal with our lack of discipline? <laughs> yeah, I think I don't know what to... you're talking about. Oh, lack of discipline. <laughs> yeah. Nobody struggles with that, Rebecca. Nobody. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. My husband always says this, but, um, and it sounds a little bit legalistic when you just hear it off the cuff, but people who are faithful generally are disciplined in their spiritual life to some extent, because mm-hmm. if it matters to them to be in the word and to pray, then that will be a regular daily part of their life. And I'm not talking about like, oh, there's a day you accidentally overslept and God doesn't love you anymore. That's not how this works. You know, like again, anything we are doing as obedience is not to be loved, but because we already are. And I say that over and over in the book because I never want to give any kind of idea that we are reading our Bibles and praying so that God will love us more. And on the days we don't, He loves us less. That is not how this, that is works. And that is not how this goes. We're responding because we want to know and love the one who has loved us and known us first. So I want to say that first, but we also want to remember why are we doing this? Like remember the gospel, remember what Jesus has done and dying on the cross for your sins. He's given you access to God. He's given you access to scripture. He's given you access to the church. So keep those things in mind. We're not trying to check a list or anything like that. We're just trying to fulfill what God has called us to do, which is to know him and to make him known. So keeping those things in mind, I have a couple of like practical things I I always like to give uh, people when I'm talking to them about this. Um, If discipline is not your strong suit, and there's a lot of people like that. I have not always been disciplined. Um, I kind of had to grow into it. But I think that making a plan is about the best thing you can do. And so um, you're not going to grow apart from regular time in the word. Like that's one of God's chosen means of spiritual growth in your life. You can't know someone uh, without spending time with them. And God has given us, given us his word to know him. So we have got to spend time in his word. We just cannot get around it. And so we need to dedicate some time in our day to do that. For most people, mornings are good. That's not everyone. Some people, it's their lunch hour. Some people, it's before bed or, you know, some point of time. But I would say make a plan. Pick a time that you know you can consistently show up to. And this is going to sound like really, really tiny minutia detail, but pick a place in your house, like literally in your house. I uh, shared this at a conference once and this woman shared afterwards that she uh, rearranged her furniture for this. And I just so appreciated the... (laughs) endeavor that she took to do this. She created herself a little study nook in her living room. She moved some furniture around and it was so great. But um, pick a place and put your Bible, your notebook, whatever you're going to use in that place and leave it there. It never moves out of that place. So you're going to pick your time, pick your place, and then you're going to pick a plan. In my book, I give a really simple study plan for people who've never studied the Bible for themselves. You can buy a pre-purchase plan. Rebecca, you said you've written some before. Um, None that are published. It's for for TJ. Got it. (laughs) I wish. Well, maybe one day. Um, But you know, there's so much good material out there that you can use, but you don't have to because you have the Bible and if you were a believer in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. You have a brain that God gave you. The Bible is for everyone. It is not just for scholars. And so I have a Bible, notebooks, and pens in my spot. I sit in the same spot every morning at the same time. And then I have my plan in place. And so in the book, I give these like six simple steps for Bible study. They're symbol based. So you don't have to write out the steps every day. And it's basically 
teaches you to read repetitively, summarize the text that you've studied. You can take a big portion or a small portion, whatever you're comfortable or have time for. And you basically walk through questions about the text. What does this teach me about God? What does this teach me about man? How does this point me to Christ? And what, how can I apply this to my life? And then you summarize the text again. The summary is a, um, a tool for articulating what you've studied so you can speak it to other people. Um, so you pick a plan. You could also pick a daily reading plan. If you've never done a read through the Bible, I highly suggest that you start there because it's going to build in accountability because you have to stay on task or you get really behind. <laughs> and it may, take you, it may take you two years to get through instead of one. And that's fine. It's not a race. Um, yeah. But uh, so you pick a place, pick a time, pick a plan, and then every day the decision-making has already been done. Mm -hmm. All you do is show up and you sit and do what I do every day, which is to say, Lord, I have nothing. You have everything. Please teach me and, Mm -hmm. you know, open up and do the work. And it's hard and it's going to feel academic at times. And then other days you're going to sit there and your Bible is going to be spotted with tears. And you know, mm-hmm. the Lord is going to stir up your affections for him so much, but it takes time. It's not going to, um, you're not going to grow overnight, but you will grow over time. And so we have to, with discipline, it's just like with anything that you're trying to reach, like whether maybe you're trying to uh, train for a race or you're trying to lose weight or you're trying to start a new habit, it's going to take time to get there. It's a, it's a thousand little decisions that lead yeah. you to the goal. And so as Christians, it's a daily decision. I'm going to get up and in the way that God has given me to know him and love him, I'm going to do that today. And it may be harder today than it was yesterday. I'm going to get up and do it again tomorrow. It's just ordinary stuff, but man, it has a lifelong impact. We will know Jesus more and more and more. And as we know him, because he is so good, we will become like him. We will not walk away um, unchanged. And that's such a good encouragement to me. Our, our pastor, Rebecca and I go to the same church. Um, our pastor always says, you know, um, my, my, my day determines my week, my weeks determine my months, mm. my months determine my years, you know? And so That's like good. having, having that long game, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, mm-hmm. you know, for a sports analogy, but like, you know, <laughs> just, um, you know, like you taking it one day at a time, but that one day determines that week and that week determines the month and the mm-hmm. month determines the year. And um, obviously we, we don't know everything that's going to happen in our life, but we can at least know that that foundation is constantly being built, yeah. um, which is good. Yeah. It's like that Annie Dillard quote, like how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. Um, you know? so good. so good. It is good. And it's, it's good because I think in a day where everything's instantaneous in our life, I mean, even mm-hmm. during a pandemic, Amazon slowed down a little, but I still got some stuff pretty fast, you know, like yeah. we live in a life where <laughs> just the acquiring of knowledge is instant. You know, we just swipe a few things or ask Siri or ask Alexa and we can find an answer to any question. We don't have to wait for anything. It's hard for us to take that long view when it comes to spiritual growth. Cause, um, but I love what both of you said. Those are so helpful. Just kind of reframing the way that we think about growth and maturity, you know, today. week. Yeah. I like what you said too about like um, the decisions been made. Cause I think for me, I struggle a lot with like decision fatigue. Mm-hmm. Like if I have to make, if I have to decide too many things in a day, I just get like super overwhelmed and I kind of shut down. But if you've already decided like, yeah, at this time, this is what I'm doing. And like, you don't have to get anything. Like everything's where you need it. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes those small things can stop mm-hmm. you from doing something. Yes. And it seems yeah. so little, but like 
for those of us with like, you know, little kids at home and like just so much going on, it's like sometimes those really tiny things will make me just like, it's too hard not to do it. Yeah. So it's like setting ourselves up for success. And I keep thinking how it's almost like, like we're setting the table and God's providing the food. Mm, like the food's going like to come, that. like the food's going to come either way. But if yeah. we don't do the work to like have somewhere to put it, mm-hmm. it's just kind of going to yeah. be messy. And we, and we feel like we've helped. It's kind of like my kids, like I make them set the table because then they are invested in dinner and hopefully they try it or they will <laughs> eat more or be present, you know? And so it's like, it's almost like God's like, hey, set the table for your own benefit, right? Yeah. Like not because I need you to, I could do yeah. it, but I want you to participate. That is so good. You better trademark that really fast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to do that. <laughs> just say, just say TM. Every time you talk about that, just okay, say TM or that trademark pending. Patent pending. Patent pending. <laughs> uh, that was actually a really good transition into my next question is like, this wow. is, for a lot of people, it's all well. And most of our listeners are women between the ages of 30 and 45. So that's just demographically the way way we roll. So um, that means a lot of them are moms. And so we and, and this isn't just for moms, like a lot of people that even if you're if you're single, and you have like a really, you know, hard work schedule, or you're like, I think you mentioned, at yeah, the beginning where we're talking yeah. about it, like you could be a caretaker for, you know, your parents or whatever. I think about a friend of mine who's single, but she's like the sole caretaker for mm-hmm. one of her parents who is ill. So like, I mean, we all have our hands full. So this isn't just for moms, but yeah, so it's all well and good for us to like have a plan and all of all of these things. But like, how do we not get so overwhelmed with the fullness mm-hmm. of our lives that we struggle with the discipline? Yeah. Does that question make sense? Yeah, it does. And I say this from a place where I was sitting on my couch this morning with my coffee and trying to answer some really hard questions out of Hebrews. And then there was a four-year-old on top of me for the rest of that time asking me a hundred questions, you know? And so um, I totally know what that feeling is when you have done the work and set the table, trademark, mm-hmm. patent pending. <laughs> and you have, uh, you know, you've showed up and then your plans get derailed because, you know, your life doesn't completely belong to you. And, and that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that w- what I learned in my years of mothering really little kids, and I'm sort of getting out of those years a little bit, um, but I've also watched my own mother um, care for her mother with Alzheimer's. She was primary caregiver for six years. Uh, she's now a caregiver for my other grandmother. And mm. um, so I have watched my mom, who's probably been my biggest like spiritual hero, um, I've watched her pour into her life scripture and prayer and really build her life around it. And then when seasons like caregiving kind of took over, she had a pretty deep reservoir to pull from. Mm -hmm. Um, She had filled her well really deeply and she continued to fill it in different ways. She couldn't necessarily, when my grandma's Alzheimer's was at its worst, um, my mom really couldn't sit for an hour and study and pray, but she would flip on a a sermon on a podcast and listen while she sat with my grandmother or, Mm -hmm. you know, she, they didn't sleep a whole lot. My grandmother had sundowners and so was very fidgety Mm -hmm. all night long. And so my mom spent her evenings praying, you know, Um, I think that sometimes our spiritual disciplines look different when we are in seasons where, you know, our time really doesn't belong to us. I think the tendency is to pull back. I know it was for me when I had really young kids, um, because I was tired, you know, when you have babies or uh, you're not sleeping at night. Um, Maybe if you have a kids with special needs that requires a lot more care, you know, the tendency is I'm going to put 
any kind of scripture intake or prayer on the back burner until I get through this season. I'm going to survive the season, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that sounds right. It sounds noble. It sounds maybe doable. The thing is, is that Christians survive differently than the world. We will not necessarily survive with joy and contentment intact if we sever ourselves from spiritual nourishment. Mm. Separating ourselves from Jesus is not necessarily going to help us survive with peace in our hearts, even though life may be crazy. Um, And, you know, Jesus talks about, I think it's Matthew 11, uh, coming to him. uh, His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And he's calling those who are weary and heavy laden. And I think he's calling us to spiritual rest. What true rest looks like is not necessarily always physical rest. Sometimes we need the physical rest. Sometimes we just need to take a nap when the kids are asleep, you know, or when the grandmother is finally resting, we just need to go to bed because their bodies need to be refueled. We need to be realistic about those things. But sometimes it might mean instead of catching 30 minutes of Netflix, it's the only downtime we have. Maybe it means opening up our Bible because we need spiritual rest in order to be prepared for the day that's coming or the next day that's coming. We, as Christians, we, we live differently than the world. Our rest comes from a different place. And so um, I, I think that rather than putting those things to the back burner, uh, we should lean a little harder on, on our spiritual disciplines, even if they might look a little bit differently. Um, the fear and what I experienced in my own life is that when I put things on the back burner, they stayed there long after the mm-hmm. season the season ended. And so if, you know, I think of my mom who just found different ways to lean on Christ and to hold fast to him. And then when that season, when my grandma passed away, um, my mom had this whole, you know, life time to herself again. Um, but she was still so hungry for the Lord. She just jumped right back into her old routines. And, uh, it really spoke a lot to me of when your heart is steadfastly anchored in Christ, then really whatever season comes, you can still lean on him. It might look different, but he's still there and you still need him, especially now. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I was a, when I, when my kids were little, cause I'm definitely out of that phase. I have a 10 year old and a seven year old. So it's a, a little bit easier, but I find myself. So before I had children, you know, I was pretty good about my consistent hour in the morning before work. And then, you know, the kids came and that hour did not look the mm-hmm. same. And I, I really fought for years in and out with like the, well, if I can't do that hour, then it's not going to be worth right. it. Right. Um, and might as well so, just not yes. do anything. Yeah. Might as yeah. well just not do anything. So I really struggle with that. And I, I'm a living testament that once my kids got older, it has been a struggle to get, mm. now I can have that hour in the morning. I mean, not every morning. I mean, things happen because you, have yeah, kids, yeah. you know, but for mm-hmm. the most part, I can take that hour every morning if I choose to do so. And I have struggled and I have ups and downs with that. And I, I think a lot of that is my own, like I just allowed it to be on the back burner for so long instead, yeah. of, instead of finding other ways. Um, and so now it's, I mean, it's a struggle for me to get disciplined, even yeah. though the time is there. So I think that's a yeah. good word to all you young moms out there whose <laughs> kids aren't old as mine. Just take it. I'm a testament, a testimony for you <laughs> to that. Yeah. That well, and it's like, oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, it kind of reminds me of exercise. Like a mm-hmm. lot of times I'll get like super discouraged because I'm like, well, I can't go do this like hour long thing. But it's like, then if I don't do anything, I'm not doing anything. Yeah. So it's like, don't <laughs> let perfect be the enemy of good enough. Like, oh, am yeah. I showing up with what I have right now? Like that's all God calls us to do. He knows 
yeah. when we don't have like the mental yeah. capacity or all of that. But like, he's asking us like, well, what are you going to do with what you have? Like yeah. loaves and fishes. Like how can we loaves and fishes this right now right. in this season? And like, I think we just make it like, I don't know who decided it was an hour in the morning. I don't know where that comes from, but I'm not a morning person. And for years, I just felt like, oh, like, yeah. I, but then I, I read somewhere that like um, in Jewish culture, like the Sabbath actually starts like at the dinner, you know, and you go to like, you're sleeping to start your day. And that changed everything for me because I'm like, oh, I'm ahead of all y'all. I'm doing it now. <laughs> and then I'm going to go to bed and then I'm going to wake up and I'm going to So it's like, I've just like ordered my days differently. but. Anyway, I just say that to say that like we, it, it doesn't have to be the hour in the morning. Like no one said that. Right. I don't know where that comes from. And we all feel guilty like we're not living up to it. But yeah. Um, well, you know, I think too, you have to think, okay, let's say I have a really busy day. I don't have time to actually prepare and eat a meal. Well, I'm still going to be better off if I have some snacks. You know, Right, exactly. Some days are snacks and some days are feasts, you know? And uh-huh. um, yeah. I think if you, if your hands are full with, caregiving or a really demanding job. I think what's important is that most of the time we try to order our our lives and our days around meeting with the Lord, whether that's at night, whether that's in the morning, whatever is, I think, whatever you can show up most consistently to. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's when it will be best for you. And, you know, I thinking of my mom again, after my grandma died and my mom was able to dive right back in because she had just continued to nourish her soul, which just makes you continually hunger for the Lord more and more. Um, A few months after my grandmother died, my mom was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And then we went through brain surgery and recovery, which was really long and hard. And she couldn't think straight or read for a while or speak exactly correctly. And yet, the Lord had, you know, sustained her through all of those years prior. She didn't know she was going to walk through another season of suffering so quickly on the heels of that. And so, um, you know, it's just really interesting to see how uh, her faithfulness and just these small acts of meeting with the Lord every day, no matter how it looked like, I mean, that is what upheld her through all of those years. And I mean, she would say that a hundred percent. We don't know what's around the corner. We don't know if a season will end or if it will end and another one begins. So if you keep waiting for life to get easier, it may never get there. And then, well, you- and, or if your life is easy yeah. or relatively easy, then you're like, well, what's, I'm fine. Like, I don't need to. Yeah. 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 That's and my danger. Is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, and I mean, I say this a lot and we need Jesus on our best day and our worst day. Exactly yeah. the same. We, we just know it more on the bad days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We recognize it more. So another thing for me that, um, I struggle with, um, is coming out of seasons where, um, my heart just feels cold to spiritual mm-hmm. stuff, you know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. um, I'm just for just personal, um, uh, a personal note for me, like coming out of um, just some difficulty um, in ministry and coming out of that, um, there was a season in there where there was just a coldness to spiritual things because of what I had endured um, mm-hmm. in that time. And it is, it has been years of like sifting through like periods of that coldness um, for various reasons. Um, and so uh, you speak about it a little bit in your book, but how do we, um, what do we do if we find ourselves in those periods where we feel like our, our um, heart is cold, maybe not towards God, maybe towards God or just towards mm-hmm. spiritual things in general or towards mm-hmm. the church or whatever. Um, what, what do you say to that? Yeah. Well, I think it's normal. I think all Christians go through periodic dry spells 
And I think that like, if you're feeling cold towards spiritual things, it's likely you feel cold, cold towards the Lord. Like you don't have much affection for him. Mm -hmm. It's likely you're not real interested in church. Those things sort of work at like Mm -hmm. a cycle. They kind of feed each other. And you, then you kind of feel like the point, like it is pointless for me to show up at church. The sermon's Mm -hmm. not going to mean anything. I don't feel like singing. I don't even want to be here. I don't want to read my Bible this week. They all kind of feed each other. It's sort of a vicious cycle, but, um, I I, t- I have a whole chapter on this in my book because I really love to talk about spiritual dry spells. I don't know, that's weird, but it's such a common experience. And yet yeah. I think that God allows those to teach us perseverance in the faith. Um, in the book I talk about, I, I use a lot of farming analogies in the book because I live in a farming community, although I'm very upfront. And from the very beginning, I am not a farmer. I am not a gardener. I kill everything. But I observe, having lived in a rural community surrounded by farmland for 15 years, um, I have observed kind of the patterns of the farmers. And, you know, in the summer when it's especially hot and there hasn't been rain, they don't just say, oh, well... No, they turn on the irrigation systems more all day, every day, and they just saturate those fields. I remember when we first moved here, um, we went on a tour of a church member's farm and he farmed a bunch of different like common crops here, like corn and soybeans and cotton, but he also farmed rice and it's like dead heat of July and his rice fields are underwater because rice has to grow underwater, which I didn't know at the time. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, there's like a foot of water here. How do you do this? But they, they <laughs> irrigate constantly and, you know, they can irrigate less if there's rain. But when it's dry, you know, July, August, we don't get a lot of rain here. It's very hot and things start to get crackly and brown around the fields. But the fields themselves are green and ripe because the farmers are working extra hard. And I think that when we are going through a spiritual dry spell, our first response is to pull away. I'm going to wait until I feel inspired (laughs) to pick up my Bible because that feels right. Mm-hmm. I, you know, my heart's not in it. I don't want to fake it. I don't want to be a hypocrite. Yeah. So I'm just going to wait until I feel inspired. The danger there is, you know, the longer you're disconnected from the Lord like that, the longer you're, it's going to be until you feel inspired. You know, you, you may not, it may, months may, may go by years, you know, mm-hmm. we cannot expect a dry spell to end disconnected from Christ. It's not, I mean, that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. What we do is irrigate the field more. And we just, I say more and more, when you feel dry, you make sure you may give up a shower in the morning. You may give up a workout or something. Do not give up your time with the Lord and what he's going to do as you keep coming to him out of obedience, because you know that he will finish the work he has started in you. And you know that he loves you, even though you don't feel it. When you keep coming to him, he is teaching you perseverance. He is teaching your heart to default to him no matter what. And that is Mm. a precious gift. Mm. And you don't learn that when times are easy. You don't learn perseverance when life is easy. You learn it when it's hard. And I think spiritual dry spells are hard. And so our response is not to wait for inspiration, but to obey knowing that the Lord will finish the work he has started in us. And he will not waste your dry spell. He'll use it Mm -hmm. to persevere, which is really handy then later if you go through suffering because you've been taught to keep coming to the Lord and you'll keep going to him no matter what. So yeah. It is kind of emotionally deadening to go through a spiritual dry spell, but I think the Lord can do so much good work in your heart. And eventually your affections will catch up because mm-hmm. it's impossible when you, if you are in Christ, it is impossible to spend time every day knowing him without it having an effect on you over time. 
Yeah. I felt like it's kind of like marriage, you know, we all, um, as someone who's been married for 19 years in August, I think we've all been married for a significant amount of time. Like, um, you know, you don't feel like you did on the first day, every single day, (laughs) like you just don't like, and, and, you know, and, and, and we live in a culture that when, when marriage starts to feel like dry or cold or whatever, Mm -hmm. then that's the time to bail or that's the time Mm -hmm. to retreat or whatever. And, you know, we all know that we're called to more than that. And, um, and, and our affections do catch up. Like, you know, we push Mm -hmm. through those and we, we continue to try to develop the relationship and continue to build intimacy, even when it's hard. And then our affections do catch up. I think we probably have all experienced that with, whether it's with our, with our, um, with our spouses or other friends and family members that we kind of go through dry dry spells with, um, if we, if we continue to be consistent, then our affections catch up with us. So that's that's like, Sometimes I think that's why with our kids, we don't feel that as much because you can't like, you can't not show up for your kids. So you're (laughs) always serving your kids, whether you feel like it or not, but because you're like constantly doing it and you don't have a choice, it's like Tim Keller talks about like covenant love versus consumer love. Like we can kind of treat our spouses like Mm -hmm. consumers, like, well, what are you giving me? And like, Mm -hmm. they're adults, they can, you know, they can take care of themselves. But when you have a little kid and you're having to yeah, you're having to serve them. I, I wonder sometimes, like, is that why we feel so much affection for our kids? I mean, obviously, it's like a lot of other things, but sometimes it's not <laughs> showing up too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's interesting. You might need to trademark that too. She's <laughs> <laughs> on a roll today. <laughs> she is. <laughs> See some great things in her future. <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh. we've we've been talking for a really long time, so I know I um, I want to be sensitive to everybody's time, but so just kind of as a wrap up, like what is, what are your, like, what's your prayer for this book? And I'm hoping, cause we didn't get into everything we want to talk about because yeah. there's so much to talk about. So hopefully that encourages people to go buy the book. So go buy the book. There will be a link in the show notes on how to do that. But what is your prayer for the, those that pick up your book? Um, yeah. yeah. My prayer is that they will see that as believers, they are called to follow Jesus from day one until they see him face to face. Mm-hmm. everyday faithful following. But I also want them to see that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all invested in them seeing Him face to face. And mm-hmm. so you are not in any way following Jesus in isolation. God mm-hmm. has given you everything that you need for life and godliness. He has given you more than you need if that's possible. And so I hope that they see that following Jesus is ordinary because it's expected. It is hard sometimes, but we are still equipped. The Lord is with us and we are joining with, you know, a history of ordinary godly people who have gotten up today and love Jesus more than they did yesterday. And that I want them to see that of all of the things that they aspire to in life, faithfulness should be front and center, faithfulness to Jesus. And, and it's not a goal that they can't reach. God has given us everything we need to do and he will finish the work that he has started. So I hope they feel encouraged just to walk forward daily plotting and loving Jesus because he is faithful to us. Yeah. That's really good. I think 
That is really good. And it reminded me, um, one of my favorite parts of your book is at the end of every chapter, there's a vignette story Mm -hmm. of um, someone who you have observed in your life and that you know who has practiced everyday faithfulness in the ordinary and in the hard. And um, Glenn and I have a mutual friend um, who's passed um, recently. Her name was Brooke and she's featured in the book as well. And she, I mean, talk about someone who, I mean, she was... She was, uh, she continues to speak to me even, <laughs> even after she's gone. Um, but for those of you who don't know, um, Brooke um, was a writer friend of Glenn and I's and she um, suffered from year for years with um, breast cancer. And then um, towards the end of her suffering, her husband passed away in a bicycle accident, leaving her as a widow to children with breast cancer. And she passed recently. Um, but her, um, just her story of faithfulness through all of that and her, um, ability to continue to be intimate with Jesus and to continue to persevere um, as the, as something. And, you know, not everybody, nobody, may, I mean, people know her, but like, she's not, you know, yes. a big name, but she spoke to us and she spoke mm-hmm. to so many people. And I think that her story will live on. So I'm so glad it made it into the book. Mm-hmm. And so I encourage people um, to read the end of the chapters too, to just get those stories yeah. of ordinary lives. Yeah. One of my last uh, conversations with Brooke was, uh, about her, I, I had to give her that to approve that part of the yeah. book. And she was so tickled and we had made plans. Uh, there was going to be a conference right after the book was published. We were both going, we both had tickets and, um, we were going to take a picture and meet up and, you know, she went to be with the Lord in February and, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it was weird then to, to get the book in the mail when it was published and see her story was unfinished in the book because the, you know, it had been submitted long before she died. And mm. I thought it's so, I, I don't know of anyone who has portrayed faithfulness and suffering in my life, my lifetime, people that I know like Brooke, but I'm so thankful that I knew her. Yes. It's so thankful that she is in the book. Um, I'm glad she got to see it, even though, you know, she didn't get to see the ending product, yeah. but um, you know, just ordinary people. Yep. I, and the Lord does great things with ordinary people. Yeah. Yep. I agree. Thank you, Glenna. Thank you so much. We'll um, link to your website and your social media. And, um, Glenna writes a lot online. She's a hardworking woman. Um, so there's a lot of, she, she writes very consistently. I'll just put it that way. Talk about perseverance, but you write consistently. So <laughs> people can follow you online and get more um, of your message from, from in that way. And we'll link to all of that into the book and to your other book too, because your other book was wonderful. So, and um, is there a way to link to your church? Do y'all have oh, like, a uh, we online do. Presence? Yeah. Okay. Um, we are Grace Bible Fellowship of Sykeston, Missouri. I think it's gbfsykeston.com. Okay. Yeah, we'll link yeah, we'll that link in the show too. notes because I don't know how to spell Sykeston, but we will link it. <laughs> <laughs> I can send it to you. <laughs> Just like it sounds, Sykes. It is Sykeston. It is fanatic. But yeah, no, um, there the couple I listened to a couple of um, times when your husband and Kenny spoke on the, the merge and it's just super encouraging. So yeah. thank yeah. you, Glenna, so much for being on. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks. Yes. I just loved being here. Come back anytime. Great. Oh, yeah. yeah. For sure. When you write your next book in oh, another geez. year. In two months. <laughs> okay. Thank bye, Glenna. Bye, everybody. Thanks, Glenna. 
So till next week, we are on Instagram at Woven and Him. We are on Facebook and Patreon forward slash Woven and Him. You can also email us fullywoven at gmail.com. And I'm Rebecca Pete, like the coffee brand. And you can find me at RebeccaPete.com where you can also find all my social handles. Yep. And uh, I don't want to be found. So just find me on the Facebook for our uh, podcast and the Instagram, but not my personal. Bye. Bye.